Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. My name is uh, Jim, and I am one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being here to worship Jesus with us today. Howdy, good to see you. <clears throat> and hello <clears throat> across the way, Auditorium One. Great to see you guys over there. You look stellar per usual. Um, as we mentioned just a little bit ago, um, <clears throat> if you are new here, we're especially glad to have you. If you have any questions about life here at Fellowship Greenville, we invite you to stop by guest services in the commons over near Auditorium One. We also have a place in the back corner here of Auditorium 2, and we have a team there that would love to help you out in any way they could. And if you call Fellowship Greenville home and have questions about getting more involved in community group or Bible study or equipping opportunity or mission opportunity, pretty please go by Next Steps in the Commons, also over near Auditorium 1 for details with all of that. Uh, and also, as a pastor here, I speak for our entire staff team when I say that we are so, so, so grateful for your desire to be involved in what we believe God is doing in our church in Greenville and in and through our church family around the world. And so thank you so, so, so much for that. Uh, also, if you are newer with us here this morning, uh, most Sundays you'll find that we are preaching and teaching straight through an entire book of the Bible. But this summer, we're taking a break from that to reconsider what it means that we are the church, and we're calling our series Church Matters, which is great because that's 50 pun points for us, uh, because not only are we seeking to understand why the church matters, but we're also seeking to do so by understanding different <clears throat> church matters like membership and mission and service and spiritual gifts and leadership and stewardship, et cetera, et cetera. And I love our little paragraph uh, in the app there in front of you maybe or online. It, it goes like this. The Church of Jesus Christ <clears throat> isn't going anywhere. She has outlasted religions and empires and nations. She has experienced persecution, political oppression, and even martyrdom. She has lived in hypocrisy, idolatry, and even committed great acts of violence, but still she remains. And because of these things, the question should loom large, what does it mean to truly be the church? What should faithfulness to our risen Lord look like? Jesus promised, he didn't suggest, he promised, I will build my church. So what does that entail? What does uh, it, it mean to, uh, uh, why does the church matter so much? And as his people, his bride, his family, his body, how are we to carry ourselves in the world while embracing his love and extending it to those around us. Yes, the church matters, but what does that really, really, really mean? And this summer, we want to reflect deeply on these things in a way that makes us pay closer attention to Jesus. <clears throat> and so today, we will keep thinking about all this stuff from Acts chapter two. If you wanna go ahead and flip there and get there in your copy of the scriptures, that would be good, great, wonderful, and I promise we'll get back there in a couple minutes, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two. Now, um, I wish we could all sit down um, for a cup of coffee and debate about it, what I'm, what I'm getting ready to talk about, and we could uh, wrangle and playfully fight about specifics and semantics for a little bit. But I'm gonna tell you, uh, without our, our cup of coffee and debate, I'm gonna tell you what I think is one of our most basic human desires. And depending on how you define the thing, I think it could even be articulated and argued as the most basic <clears throat> human desire. Because it doesn't matter, matter like race, color, class, or creed. It doesn't matter gender, age, sh size, or shape. I, I think that if, if you dig deep, 
the root of the thing, the root underneath it all, is that we, <clears throat> we're all after this, belonging. We all desperately want to belong. And I think that belonging is a, perhaps even the most basic human desire. And I'm gonna try to prove that to you. I think this is true <clears throat> at every stage of life. <clears throat> so let's try it. I think this is true at every stage of life. I'm gonna try to prove this to you. Like <clears throat> when you're young and you're carefree and all you wanna do is run and eat and play and dance and sing and yell and play with sticks and go jump in the river and all that stuff, all you're really doing, check it, all you're really doing is looking out for other people who are looking out for you. You're trying to find people who are trying to find you. Mama, daddy, brother, sister, whatever the deal is, you know the friend in second grade that you have that laughs at, laughs at your jokes that don't even make sense? You're out looking for them. That's what you're doing. And then, <clears throat> this is what happens. In middle school, you go way out of your way to try to find your people. Maybe you start to dress weird, talk weird, act a little weird, and if you're a bro, smell weird, all right? And, and the reason you do all this <clears throat> is not for the sake of like, you know what I want? Isolation and separation. No, no, no. You're trying to find your people. That's what you're after. And then you go up <clears throat> to high school and maybe in high school, like you take a step back from, from the weirdness and you try to like, you try on different jerseys. Maybe you want to be the sports girl or maybe you want to be the artsy dude or you want to be the brilliant uh, calculus nerd or the punk rock kid. <clears throat> maybe in high school you're a, a budding entrepreneur and you're like, yo, I'm trying out these 17 different podcasts that I'm working on and I got my YouTube and I'm doing TikTok live and I'm, you're, you're curating the life <clears throat> that you want for yourself one day. And then... Then you go off to college and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna try to just kind of lock in on one of these many things. I'm gonna try to give a lot of time to just one of these deals. I'm gonna focus right here. And maybe, you know, your major works out for you and you, you actually use your major or maybe the, uh, the archaeology uh, degree isn't, isn't paying the bills necessarily. Perhaps that's the case for you. But guess what? In all of that, guess what? In all of that, you're not primarily looking for a paycheck, you're not. You don't finish college and go, you know what I'm gonna do? I, me, I am going to change the world. You're not trying to find a hobby. You're not trying to find something to fill your weekend or your free time. You are looking for a deep and connected sense of sharing who you are with other people who are also sharing all of themselves with you. I don't care if you're an introvert or extrovert, or ambivert, or somewhere in between on the verts. I don't care. All of us, that's what we're after. And then maybe sometime in your mid-20s, you get really passionate, and you, like you join a political team, or you learn to talk about this social issue, or this talking point on the news, because you think certainly, you know, <clears throat> concentrating on this will fix the tangled wires of all my deepest desires. And, and maybe you get distracted from that deep passion, because, oh, look at there, you got married, and now you have a couple kids. And you know what? Praise God for that. Maybe in that, you get the sweetest little foretaste of that longing for belonging. Like you, you get the sweetest little snapshot of fulfillment there. But you also know in all that, this is not the, the whole shabam, like I'm made for something more. <clears throat> and then, here's the funny one. Then you thought the dating game <clears throat> was done and over, but now you get the mega awkward dating game of 
you and your husband dating other couples to find the perfect match to maybe one day, dear God, we could go on a cruise together. Like, <clears throat> that's, the, <clears throat> that's the dating game that you're now on. And it like out awkwards all of your high school dating game, which is impressive because you know you, all right? It, this is just a very special venture. And then eventually most of those couples you date exhaust you, right? That's, that's, that's what happens. Now, maybe you're like, oh, this can't be the deal. And so you switch up jobs. Switch up careers. Maybe you deny that you're having a midlife crisis and so you're like, man, bump it all. I'm gonna get a new friend group or a a new this or a new that or a new car. So you switch churches. You join a tennis league. You eat a little healthier. You take up scrapbooking, right? You go through a family death or a divorce and before you know it, you're an empty nester and what you thought would be freedom is actually just a more profound ache to fit in again, to belong. And you have to laugh to like mask and hide the pain because you thought for sure you had graduated from middle school and yet here we are again. We're still here, the same ache. And then a few years later, I've heard tell that grandkids are lovely. Uh, I'm already ready to be a grandfather somehow, some way. I don't know. I, I don't know. And I, I've, I see the joy on my parents' faces that grandkids are a joy beyond words and they give this vivid and pure glimpse of how it should be. But also, that's a little, it's a little sporadic and one-sided. And eventually, uh, retirement kind of falls into your lap and you take this long look back over the decades and you sigh because you then realize that belonging has always felt just out of reach and you finally know why. You finally go, oh. It's always been just out of reach because you have always kept, <clears throat> you have always kept most of your heart locked up <clears throat> and you've never been truly willing to give away your heart, to give away yourself to other people. All the while, you have expected other people to do that exact same thing to you and for you, to give of themselves, to give of their hearts to you. And I wonder, because I know I feel it, does any of that sound like any of your life? Like where are you on that trajectory? Are you near that trajectory or is that just spot on? Like Jim, you've been reading my mail. Like where are you on that trajectory? Um, If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you're especially going to appreciate this quote. Frodo's story, like our own, is filled with sundry people and places and plot twists and stuff. And that's why these words uh, hit different if you know his story. But Tolkien wrote these words in a letter to his son, Christopher. He wrote, we all long for Eden and we're constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most humane is still soaked with a sense of exile. You feel that? We all long for Eden, but simultaneously we're all drenched with this feeling of exile. And in my mind, whether it's a yearning to be God's people in God's place, Eden, or whether it's absolutely sensing the closeness of the brokenness of the world and our community and our own hearts, that's exile, All of these things, in my mind, can be filed under what I believe is a, maybe even the most basic human desire to belong. 
And this whole thing right here kind of backs us into a corner, paints us into a corner that's loaded with questions. <clears throat> like this. <clears throat> Maybe you ask this. Dude, in my own story, how can I cultivate a sense of belonging? And is there a way to, to experience a fixed sense of belonging? Like something that's not going anywhere? Is there any way that these desires can be moored to an anchor and not subject to a breeze? And also, what does God think about all this? Like, what he's, what's he doing about it? Does he even care about this thing? If this is really one of my deepest desires, what does he say about it? And furthermore, Jim, what in the world does this have to do anything with church matters, right? And there are other related questions, but I really believe that if we boil them all down, our question today will sound a little something like this. Here we go. What should it look like to belong to God by belonging to one another? What should it look like to belong to God by belonging to one another? And again, there's so much packed into this question. And I'm not saying you've been thinking this your whole life, you've been scratching your head about this question, worded in this way, your whole life dying for an answer. But I am saying, I think this is a very succinct way to put words to what we all truly want. The real wants, underneath the surface wants. And that's why we're asking it like this. What should it look like to belong to God by belonging to one another? And today, Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47 will help us answer our question. That's our passage for today. That's our text for today. Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Acts two, 42 to 47. And we'll look a few other places in scripture, but this is where we're gonna camp out today in Acts two. And um, let's, let's now, uh, in a second, corporately voice our gratitude for our speaking God and his word. <clears throat> After I read our passage, I get to do my line which is the word of God for the people of God, and then you get the hearty response. Thanks be to God, you two, auditorium one. Pretty please, thank you. So here we go, <clears throat> belonging to God by belonging to each other. Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42. Here we go, Acts two forty-two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings <clears throat> and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I love these verses and Acts are some of my favorites, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. We could be here for a few hours, uh, spelunking the details, if you will, but for Luke, <clears throat> who wrote Acts for Luke, this is his first description of what ongoing church life was like in the early years of following Jesus. That's, this is what Luke is doing, describing the early church. Now, last week, <clears throat> Charlie talked about how the actual word church, ecclesia in Greek, means gathering or assembling together, and he did a great job highlighting the centrality and the power and the beauty of that. And today in Acts, we get to think about like, the spillover of the church gathered when 
the people themselves, the people of the church, live out their gathered declarations. What we sing, what we say is true, the creeds and the realities, what is true, we get to live out our gathered declarations in proximity to one another. That's what Acts is getting at. And to do all this and to answer our question, we're gonna look at four truths that the early church would have confessed about themselves. And these four things are gonna help us understand what it should look like to belong to God by belonging to one another. <clears throat> so here we go. Number one, <clears throat> and we're gonna spend the most time here because this one is uh, super foundational. Uh, the early church would have confessed this about themselves, that <clears throat> we belong in covenant, and that means that we are bound to one another. We belong in covenant, and that means that we're bound to one another. <clears throat> now, obviously the word covenant is not in our passage, but it's one of the most important words and ideas in the whole Bible. And throughout scripture, the word covenant is all about promise and relationship. And in Jesus, God has begun the final fulfillment of all of his promises for his people. And now watch this. In response to God's faithfulness in Jesus, God's people were not just individually or separately supposed to be in relationship to him, randomly and detached, but God's people were meant to be in covenant with one another as a part of their covenant relationship to God. They didn't selfishly just use each other when it was most beneficial for them. They didn't just call somebody when they needed something. It wasn't that kind of relationship. Sometimes I think that that's how we think about our relationships and our friendships, that they are transactional like that. But that's not the case for the early church, these people in Acts 2. Look down at verse 42. Look at the first verb, verse 42. They devoted themselves. I'm underline, highlight, circle the word devoted. This is a promissory posture of commitment. So yes, look at the rest of the verse. They devoted themselves to covenant teaching and covenant eating and covenant praying, and we should be all about that. That's what the verse says, and I love it. But they did all of that because they were committed to each other as a dominant way to express their commitment to God. Now, <clears throat> I, I don't know your church, church upbringing. Maybe you grew up in church and never missed a Sunday. <clears throat> Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. But when I grew up in church, the only thing that I remember hearing when I was younger was, hey, <clears throat> this whole shabam here, this is about your individual relationship with God. These other people, they might have some individual things with God going on, but this is just about you. The spotlight's over your head. And I don't think that's what this passage is teaching at all. I think it's teaching that the way we connect to, relate to one another is one of the ways that we're supposed to connect to and relate to God. Look at verse 44. They had all things in common. Verse 45 says that they were always looking out for one another. Verse 46 says they, were, they filled each other's homes and hearts. They all knew that they were bound together as they were bound to Jesus. And in the Bible, that is covenant. That's the promise of covenant. I think about it like this. Uh, this upcoming weekend, I get to do a wedding. Now, if I stood up there and read wedding vows like this, how would this go? If the vows were this. Do you take her to be your wedded wife? In health, but not sickness, because that's not convenient. For richer, but not poorer, because it's not financially prudent. From this day forward, until you find somebody just better, right? Because <clears throat> that would be a waste. Am I right? 
That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, right? <clears throat> and we know that in our gut because that's not marriage, because that's not covenant. And the opposite of those, those things should be true when we're talking about us as Jesus' people. We're called to be unswervingly devoted <clears throat> to one another as a part of our devotion to God. Also, covenant isn't a vague uh, additional synonym for promise. Covenant in the Bible is always Godward in its aim. And that's why this passage ends the way it does. Look, look down at verse 47 for a second. <clears throat> look, with praise to God, thanks to him, worship to him. Covenant means, you ready for this? I love this. <clears throat> covenant means that you and I, we all have the joy and the job of helping other people, hey, hey, pay attention to Jesus, our covenant king. That's what covenant means. And here's where I wanna be <clears throat> very, very, very clear. And I'm gonna try to say it as humbly and non-legalistically as I possibly can. If you're a follower of Jesus <clears throat> and you are dodging responsibility in a local church, like if you only sometimes come twice a month and you are staying disconnected because you know that's too messy and obviously your schedule is more important than other people's, and if you're not willing to give away your time and your energy and your heart to others who are trying to follow Jesus, what I'm saying is if you're doing all that, you're only going to be feeding the ache in your soul that longs to belong. You're just gonna be feeding the monster. Now hear me, <clears throat> I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not even saying it's gotta be this church. <laughs> I love this church. But there might be a phenomenal Jesus-loving church that you drive past on your way here that you need to go be a part of. But I am saying that if you love Jesus, then you're gonna love what he loves, and he loves his bride, the church, so much that he laid down his life for her, and now we should follow suit. Now we should follow in his wake. <clears throat> this is what we're talking about when we talk about church membership. <clears throat> we're asking you to devote yourself to one another, like this passage, like the verb in 42. To be committed, to be all in, to sign a marriage covenant of sorts. And this is actually the reason behind why we have community groups and Bible studies and equipping classes and mission opportunities, not to keep you busy, to keep you distracted, because we want Acts 2 to be descriptive of us and how we relate to each other as we relate to God. Also, um, this is supposed to be uh, a sermon on church membership, which it is. I'm just kind of filing it under the language of belonging. And just a quick thing about my personal journey with thinking about church membership. In my 20s, I was like, huh, I really believe that church membership <clears throat> is a modern construct invented by churches in democratic capitalistic countries to keep tabs on who's tithing and who isn't. Like that's, <clears throat> that's what I thought in my 20s, and the more I studied scripture, the more I realized that that wasn't the case. Also, if it ever does turn into that, that's the same as for richer but not poorer, because it's not financially wise, and that, that's garbage, and that's not Christ. Rather, do you know what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4? He says, we are members of one another. In Jesus, <clears throat> you belong to me, and I belong to you, and together, we belong to God. And in Paul's pastoral letters to the Timothys and Titus, 
you'll see that he's talking about local churches, not just the church in general, the universal church. He's talking about churches with lists of widows and lists of people and budgets and structure and meetings and pastors and deacons. He's talking about what we're talking about. Being a part of a local church is the way to be a part of the universal church. And it might seem far-fetched to you, but listen, what if that root desire in you to belong, what if God's practical response to that is something so seemingly surface level and silly as church membership? He already sent Jesus. Jesus is the fixed and eternal fulfillment of belonging, but what about the functional and experiential fulfillment of it? And I'm gonna roll the dice here and say that church membership isn't too far off from that. On a completely unrelated note, our next membership class is September 17, and you should sign up for that. You can do that with a QR code on the back of the chair in front of you, or you can find it online. Um, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we truly do want to invite you into that. We believe that there's freedom there and belonging there. Four truths of belonging. <clears throat> Number one, we belong in covenant, and that means that we're bound to one another. Number two, we belong as a family, and that means that we sacrifice for one another. Number two, we belong as a family, and that means that we sacrifice for one another. Now, not only is the, um, <clears throat> the breaking of bread in 42 and 46 here that bookends this passage, a faint echo of Jesus' broken body sacrificed for us, but think realistically behind this passage. <clears throat> think realistically. They're meeting in homes, they're doing all this stuff, and if they're meeting in your home, you gotta, you gotta get ready. The person whose, whose house they're, they're coming over to, they gotta get ready, they gotta clean the house. Maybe they're meeting outside on the patio, they gotta clean the patio, they gotta move the furniture around, they gotta clean up the pet poop, they gotta do the stuff. Somebody's gotta make and bake the bread that we're breaking together, right? <clears throat> and what I'm telling you is it might sound trite, but all of these little things, they're all little sacrifices intended to point to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And the reason that we're using the language of family here is because a healthy family sacrifices for its own members. And the rest of the New Testament uses familial language throughout to talk about the church. But a healthy family sacrifices for its own members. And that is literally how every single one of us is sitting here right now because your mama sacrificed pain in her body to bring you into the world, right? Just like Jesus sacrificed pain in his body to bring you into his new world, his new creation, to bring you into his family. And now we're called to reflect that in the way we love others. Prove it, Jim. I'd love to. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Ooh. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how you hear this, this verse. I don't know. Maybe you go, man, I know somebody who needs to sell some of their junk. Good grief. <laughs> Maybe you go, no, no, no. I have absolute rational, logical, deductive justification for the 73 pairs of shoes in my closet. And <clears throat> it's okay that those unused kayaks have hung in my garage for 19 years. That's fine, I'm gonna get to them. Or you're thinking about like the gadgets <clears throat> under your bed that you're like, no, 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 uh, spring break next year, look out, <clears throat> that are just collecting dust. And you're trying to like <clears throat> mentally justify all that stuff. Now hear me, I'm not saying any of that stuff is evil, big fan of kayaking. 
I'm saying that there are people in this church in need, and I'm just asking, are your kayaks worth more than their struggle? And I'm also absolutely saying that money and possessions are things that enslave and hold down American Christians for more faithfully following Jesus. They can be such idols for us. We, as American Christians, we crave We'd long for security and safety and comfort and assurance. And we actually believe sometimes that stuff, having stuff will give us what Jesus already said he's gonna give us when he gave us the Holy Spirit. And that's messed up. And it stands in the way of the moral of the story. And that is that we are Jesus's family and that means we should be ready to sacrifice for one another, just like he did and just like this early church did. Now, if you'll indulge me just a minute, um, here's a little bit of my story as it relates uh, to this church. 28 years ago, <clears throat> this summer, I stepped into a gymnasium at Southside Christian School slash Southside Baptist Church. I stepped in there to play high school basketball, and I met some people that day that are still my friends, including my oldest friend, Andy Lehman. And I went to high school there <clears throat> in the shadow of this church. They both shared a campus back in the day. And even back then, I considered a lot of you lovely people family. <clears throat> and today, <clears throat> it's equally um, awkward and beautiful that my kids are now playing with the kids of people I went to high school with because I'm not that old. Um, and then I went off to college, and shortly after I graduated, I joined student ministry staff here at this church with my friends Jason Malone and Josh Amos. Both are still on staff. <clears throat> and I became really close with a ton of students and their families when I was a youth pastor here. And those people were different generations than the people that I went to high school with uh, many, many moons ago, which were also a part of this church. Um, then after student ministry staff, I went back to the school to teach high school theology and met an entirely new batch of students and their parents and faculty, also a lot of whom are part of this church family. And after several years there, I came back and I joined staff, pastoral staff here at the church where I've been, where I've been for 11 plus years. <clears throat> and what I'm saying is that I have been in the orbit of this church for 28 years this summer. I have spent <clears throat> Sunday mornings in the nursery with my wife, holding and rocking, yelling babies and trying to pray over them and not throw them, right? I've, I've taught in middle school <clears throat> and I've taught in high school. Uh, maybe I taught you uh, two and a half miles down the road at Southside Christian Go Sabres. Maybe we've been in Bible study together <clears throat> or small group together. I really love getting to hang out with our FG senior adults and sing hymns with everybody. And when Jason Malone <clears throat> came back on staff and I saw his girls for the first time, uh, Caroline Malone said to me, hey, Uncle Jim, and I almost lost it right there. Thanks a lot, Caroline, you jerk, right? <clears throat> right there on the spot. <clears throat> and so to me, for me, I know this is not everybody, but for me, every Sunday here feels a little bit like a good old family reunion with lots of new faces that we love. And I know that's not everybody's thing, but what I'm telling you is that there's something underneath all that <clears throat> that is not Jim's personal sense of family. It's the fact that I know that we're family because of how many of you have given your time and your energy and your resources and your wisdom for me for almost three decades. I'll never forget 10 or 12 years ago where Sarah and I were in a, a tougher spot financially and I was praying on my way home from work and when I got home, I checked the mail and somebody had 
so sweetly committed a federal crime by not putting something through the mail system, but just shoving it in my mailbox. And I opened it up and it was a tri-folded eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with a few hundred dollars in the middle and God had already answered my prayer. And there was nothing written on the entire thing except the outside, it just said Jim and Sarah. And on the middle section of that tri-fold sheet of paper in courier new font was Acts 2, 42 to 47. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing them all to the poor, to any who had need. We belong as a family, and that means we sacrifice for one another. Next, and I'll be brief on these last two, I promise. Uh, Number three, we belong as a body, and that means that we need one another. We belong as a body, and that means that we need one another. And here we can cut and paste and bring over Paul's doctrine of the body of Christ from 1 Corinthians and elsewhere. He talks about how there are different members of the body like hands that serve and ears that hear and eyes that see and feet that go. But he says, Paul is quick to say, it's all just one body. And then he makes this funny like preacher joke in 1 Corinthians about how weird it would be if everything was an eye, like if your ears were eyes and if your mouth and nose were eyes and if your hands were eyes, then there would be no body. And his point is that we need each other's differences, each other's different personalities, our different upbringings, especially we need each other's different spiritual gifts, which we'll come back to in a few weeks. But all of that reminds me of the last word in verse 45 in Acts 2. Look down at the last word. It's the word need. We can read this verse 45 and think about what we should sacrifice for others so that they can be provided for, so that their needs can be met But what if we read this verse from the perspective of those who are actually in need? And maybe, perhaps, you have a genuine financial or physical need right now. Maybe that's your need. Or perhaps your need is emotional healing and intimacy because of father wounds. Or perhaps your need is that you're confused and grieving. Or you need interpersonal grace and kindness when you're in conflict because you fly off the handle. Maybe your need is deliverance from a sin pattern that you think is just a habit that people don't understand. And what you truly need is the perspective of someone else who isn't you who can see it and lovingly tell you that. And no matter what you need, God wants to meet that need by someone sacrificing their time and energy just like Jesus to walk with you and pray for you and help you out. What I'm telling you is that we were not created to be independent and self-sufficient, which means we're now set free to confess our lack and our gaps and our need and our blind spots. Very simply put, we are meant to experience our need for God by experiencing our need for other people. Feel that? We're meant to experience our need for God by experiencing our need for others. And this is just another reminder that we are intended to belong to God by belonging to others. All right, quick review here. We belong in covenant, and that means we're bound to one another. We belong as a family, and that means that we sacrifice for one another. Third, we belong as a body, and that means that we need one another. And lastly, number four, We belong as a team, and that means that we're on mission 
with one another. <clears throat> we belong as a team, and that means that we're on mission with one another. There's so much that could be said here, and we're gonna come back to this <clears throat> in future weeks as well this summer. But many of you know this, but a team is more than the sum of its parts. It can accomplish more together than with its individual members going and doing their own thing. And I know that this can be a separate discussion, but look at the wonders and signs in verse 43. See verse 43 right there? That's the Holy Spirit acting in and through the togetherness and shared life and oneness of the early church to do things beyond what they could do or manufacture or conjure up on their own. And look at verse 47, all the way down. This drives it home. Look, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Meaning, our unity and oneness and honesty and shalom and need and confession of sin and open homes and open hearts and belonging to one another, all of that launches us into mission. Look, look, look. They found favor with all the people. That's talking about people who didn't know and belong to Jesus. That's talking about people close to you but far from God. And what these people witness is part of how God drew them in. Finish the verse. Because of this, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this is the greatest evangelistic strategy ever, just to belong to one another, right? And God added to their number those who were being saved. Why do you think Jesus said, they will know that you were my disciples by your love for one another? And please note, there's no team if it's all apostles teaching and no fellowship and bread breaking and prayers. There's no team if it's merely acknowledging our need, our differences and our giftedness and not doing anything about it. <clears throat> There's no team if we're a family, but we think we're better than everybody else in the family and we can't stand each other. There's no team if those other things aren't in place. We are called to something bigger than ourselves to hold the door wide open for others to belong. We're called to welcome people into God's family. We're called to join God's mission of bringing his healing, saving love to the world around us. And the climactic way that God is doing that, bringing his love to bear on the brokenness of the world, the climactic way he's doing that is in the gospel of Jesus. Now, <clears throat> think with me. When Jesus hung on the cross to take your sin and mine, to take the death that belonged to us, when he hung there to triumph over Satan and death and the powers of this world, at this central point of all of human history, <clears throat> do you remember what he said? He, he had scripture so in him. He, he quoted from the Psalms. This central point of human history. <clears throat> I, I'm, an imagine, I'm imagining something more profound, but do you know what he says from Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Huh. Now think about <clears throat> what is happening theologically as he hangs there in our place. This is what is being said through the corridors of history. <clears throat> Father, I am being forsaken so that they could be forgiven. Father, I'm being forsaken so that they could be included. Father, I am being forsaken so that they could belong. 
On the cross, Jesus gruesomely experienced the curse of exile so that we could be graciously given the blessing of Eden, real and eternal life with him and his people. That's what we were always, always made for. And because Jesus is the climactic way that God is bringing his healing and rescuing love to the world, this means that covenant is nothing without Jesus as Lord, that family is nothing without Jesus as our big brother, that life as a body is nothing without Jesus as our head, and that belonging as a team is nothing without Jesus as our captain. So at the end of the day, Trusting and swearing allegiance to the crucified and risen Jesus is the root way that God wants to fulfill our root desire. And it does not matter what season or stage of life you are in. If you're young and you're looking for people who are looking for you, or if you're a student and you're trying out different hats and jerseys on, or maybe you're a young adult and you're worried about friends and jobs and kids and cars, or maybe... You're a little older and you're reflective about decades and missed opportunities and the time you have left. My brothers and sisters, I promise you this. When you reconsider what it means to belong, the only lasting way forward is to get in the way of Jesus' promise. I will build my church. This promise opened up in his victorious death and resurrection. This is where our most basic human desires and our most fundamental human needs collide together. And now, because of that, and by faith, we can belong without fear and without shame. And that is really good news. And here, right in this space, we must never forget. And Jesus giving his life away for us not only gives us new and eternal life by grace through faith, but his life-giving love is now the pattern for how we're to live our eternal relationship, our, our eternal life in relationship to one another. It should be, Jesus' example, should be the shape of our devotion to one another as a covenant family, as we're devoted to God. And so Fellowship Greenville, I've got really good news for you this morning. Jesus loves you, and he loves loving you. Amen. And that's what is most true about you. <clears throat> and I hope you believe that, and I hope that in light of that, Awe comes upon every soul. And many wonderful and great things happen here for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are filled and weighed down with gratitude. We're so, so humbled and happy that in Jesus and because of Jesus and through Jesus, we can forever belong to your family. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Holy Spirit, would you use, somehow use our continued brokenness, but also our togetherness and our oneness and our harmony and our belonging to one another. Would you use that, please, Holy Spirit, to draw other people into new life with Jesus? Please, please, Holy Spirit, do that. And then we'll continue to do verse 47, to praise you, to stand in awe of you, to glorify you and to worship you. Jesus, we praise you and we love you. You're the best. Amen.